I am William Castle, the director of the motion picture you're about to see. I feel obligated to warn you that some of the sensations, some of the physical reactions which the actors on the screen will feel will also be experienced for the first time in motion picture history by certain members of this audience. I say certain members because some people are more sensitive to these mysterious electronic impulses than others. These uh, unfortunate, sensitive people will at times feel a strange, tingling sensation. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. <sighs> Since we're recording a whole day later, how was your birthday celebration, Noah? It's all right. I made pot roast. Got a cake from uh, Cold Stone Creamery. Nice. I saw the cake. Look at oh, that. my God. Oh my god, it's fucking phenomenal too. They had seasonal stuff, so it, it was apple pie flavored ice cream with uh, caramel and apple pie filling mix ins, and then a layer of caramel in the middle of the cake. It's was, it was real fucking good. Yeah, since I'm just a fat piece of shit, uh, I used to get the uh, peanut butter cup ice cream cake from out there. Yeah, it's pretty good too. Yeah, since you know. I shouldn't eat that much bullshit. I don't yeah. do that anymore. Yeah, I was I was telling Char that uh, I'm kind of glad the apple ice cream and stuff is seasonal because I was like I would probably <laughs> be going back to Cold Stone occasionally, being like, "You guys got any more of that caramel apple ice cream?" <laughs> the good thing is when you're on my 600 pound life, you can promote the podcast, so it's good for the rest of us. Like Wil- Wilford Brimley sent me. Ice cream cake? You got ice cream cake up there in Canada, Doug? Yeah, I don't think there's any Cold Stone Creameries anymore. There used to be. Hmm. We do uh, still have the Dairy Queen ones around here. And then the uh, there's some local uh, dairies that do them that are pretty good. Nice. Uh... Me and my friend Randy used to accidentally call it Stone Cold Ke- uh, Creamery. <laughs> what? That's a so terrible the, accident. We would just imagine, be like, enjoy your ice cream, you son of a bitch. And then you hit him with a chair on the way out the door. <laughs> you just break the glass as you're walking in through the front door. And they're <laughs> yeah. like, what was that for? And we're like, well, it's mildly entertaining to us. Yeah. It's me, ice cream on your face, fall over backward and roll out the door. <laughs> Uh, give everybody a stunner. Be great. See, that's the kind of ice cream place I would want to go to. Um. Anybody? Anybody got anywhere to go from there? Uh, speaking of awesome gimmicks for places to go. Nice. Should we talk about some uh, gimmicky movies from back in the day? Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you wanted us to answer? Oh, okay. Is that uh, how this works? <laughs> William William Castle and Vincent Price. Which Doug is trying to pass this off as the first time we've done a William Castle movie on the show, and I had to correct him on Instagram. 
I forgot that other movie was a William Castle movie. What was the other William Castle movie we did? I know who you are, and I saw what you did, with Joan ah, Crawford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't have a lot of the. I don't remember it having a lot of the Hallmark. Uh, uh, it doesn't. I think at that point, Joan Crawford was like the gimmick enough. She, she was made, the gimmick. She made a couple. She made a handful of movies with him. So, you, ma'am, are my gimmick. Yes, I people can... will come to see you because they hate you so much, ma'am. I can. <laughs> I can tell you that one of these two movies was a first time watch. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, Both of these were first time watches for me. Well, wow. No. Yeah, that was kind of crazy. Had you, why they got put on the list. Have you seen the remake of House on Haunted Hill? Yes. Which okay. Which one of the 25 remakes of House on Haunted Hill are you referring to? Well, the one from the... Late 90s, early 2000s? About the one with Chris Kattan in it? Yeah. <laughs> little Chris Kattan action? Like, yeah, it was like 1999 or something. Yeah. I saw it once, and I don't remember being like that impressed with it, but uh, I've heard from lots of horror fans that maybe it's a movie that needs like a modern sort of reevaluation, that it's actually a pretty decent horror film. I mean, I remember being it okay. It was part of like the uh, spat of um they were all haunted house movie remakes from the 50s essentially because <laughs> they yeah. did like that and 13 ghosts and all that kind of shit kind of close together i feel like it unfairly gets um lumped in with um the haunting of hill house remake that came out around that time which, oh yeah where's that one was just called the haunting i think yeah but i remember it like people hated it and i think House and Haunted Hill probably got lumped in because the two titles sound enough alike that people get them confused. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to rewatch it at some point. Um, but hey, Doug, do you want to tell us about the original House on Haunted Hill? The original House on Haunted Hill. Let's see. Vincent Price plays a rich man who has invited a bunch of people to stay in a supposedly haunted ha- mansion for uh, a chance to, if they stay all night, they get $10,000. But the deal is. Once the doors lock at midnight, you're stuck there all night. And they keep implying that people might die. One of the people is uh, has a connection to some people who were murdered in this house previously, so he knows all the stories, and he's telling everybody the stories and scaring them. For some reason, there's a giant vat of acid in the basement, so they throw a dead rat in there just so they can watch that's the for... skeleton <laughs> no. on the surface. No, that's for winemaking. Don't you know all those winemaking vats of acid? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. The only thing I could think of was the Vat of Acid episode from Rick and Morty, if anybody's a Rick and Morty fan. Yeah. It, it's really funny. There's just like a, a, a like a cellar door almost that opens up, and then there's just acid in there just floating. I, I love, there's even a meta joke in the film where someone calls out the fact that they're like, they go, wait, what? there's still acid in it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's find out. And then they throw the rat in, and it's just bones. And then yeah. the bones that float up are essentially things you can buy at the dollar store today. Like, it's just... <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyways, eventually the woman of the house appears to have committed suicide, but some people think it's murder. Lots of uh, mystery, lots of people pointing fingers, and at the very end, big reveal that she was having an affair with one of the other guys and faked her own death in an attempt to 
What was the goal there? I don't know if I remember what the goal of her faking her death was. The entire thing was a setup to get the mentally unstable girl to kill Vincent Price's character. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Very convoluted. Yeah, it, it's a rather... It's one of those plots that only would happen in a 50s movie where you're like, yeah, bring her here, keep scaring her until... <laughs> We finally get her to we, we finally get her to snap and kill the guy we don't like and just hope that she blames him. <laughs> Doesn't take it or anybody else. But um yeah. And then eventually he turns the tides on them and then the girl the girl does kill him at the end by throwing him in the acid. So mm. that's the movie. So what'd you think for a first time watch? I loved it. Yeah. Honestly. I thought like the all the stupid like little gimmicky scare stuff was fun as hell. I thought the they nailed the tone just perfectly where I was interested in the mystery, but it was still like a really lighthearted movie that you kind of just got to laugh at all the time whenever somebody got super <laughs> scared. I was like I was like when the the old like she ends up being like one of the one of the caretakers. Yeah, like the, the, blind the, lady. Yeah, the, the caretaker's wife who who I'm still not a hundred percent convinced that she's not just a mannequin. Because I oh, don't I, think you ever actually see her physically move at any point. I'm not in the sure film. if you do or not either. <laughs> There's definitely the scene where she like runs by and scares the girl half to death, and absolutely, she, that's not a person running. She's on some kind. If it's a if it's a human being at all, she's on some kind of like a little standy thing. I don't know. <laughs> on a skateboard, just doing yeah, ollies like and grinding rails. Yeah, it's like she just rolls by. It's so great. Um, but I, I love all those moments and I like watching the people freak out. It's, I mean, it's very of its time. And we'll say this about the next movie too, or like the way people talk and the acting style is all very 1959, but that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you know what you're getting when you sign up for a movie from this era. I don't know. I, I had a great time watching this movie. What do yeah. you guys think? Is this the one you'd seen before now? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've seen it a few times. Yeah. Um, I really like it. I'm a big Vincent Price fan, so anytime I get to see Vincent Price being in a movie, I'm excited, and I kind of like this one because he gets to be an asshole the whole time. He's a real asshole. He just, <laughs> Which is great. He's a real the, weird, the weird thing, yeah, he's super fucking abusive. And then at the end of the movie, they play him off like he's the hero of the movie. You're like, I don't, I don't think that's the way this works. <laughs> like... Like, oh. he figured out that his wife and the doctor were going to try to murder him, and his response was to murder them back. Yeah. Well, in logic, that's fine. Um, but I, I, th- I find it interesting that the, like, the subtle secondary theme of our week is Vincent Price is such an asshole that his wife just keeps cheating on him, which just happens <laughs> in both movies. <laughs> but, yeah, like, he, he's a prick, but I, I think they it, they sort of walk that fine line, though, by having him be the villain of the movie. And then at the end, the twist is that they were going after him the whole time, right? Which I kind of enjoyed. Well, and the fact that his his distant uh, female counterparts in movies is oftentimes called out is another one of the, the dog whistles to him being the evil gay in all these films. Oh, really? I wouldn't pick. I wouldn't have picked up on that. Yeah, because there's there's a thing, especially whenever he's playing an evil character. He always has these weirdly distant 
uh, female counterparts or, or even something like the, it, well, like I said, we'll talk about in the other movie where his wife's just rampantly cheating on him and he's just kind of cool with it. He's just like, yeah, she's having a hard time. And then he just moves on. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't, know, if I, I don't know if I took that as being a, a reference to homosexuality in any way. Well, I've just read about it in some of the deep analysis things where they're like, you know, the idea is that he's secretly gay, so he doesn't have affectionate relationships with women in these evil roles. And so therefore, you know, (laughs) it's it's all it's interesting because it is there. There is a bunch of coded evil gay stuff with Vincent Price. I think that when Vincent Price is playing evil, he does uh, play it a little bit more effeminate. Than when he's playing a uh, more of a heroic character, yeah. But I don't take that as like I don't think there's subtle context that he's gay. I think it's just the way he plays evil and the way Eve. Like you could definitely argue that in these older movies, being gay was equated with being evil, and that there's a connection there. But I don't think that that means his character is meant to be gay. I, I don't buy that. So that's my opinion. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I really like this movie the, too. The whole uh-huh. handing out, handing out uh, weapons, coffin-shaped <laughs> boxes is a uh, thing that's been stolen about five hundred times. But it's fucking great. So, <laughs> Man, but there's just like little tiny coffins on, sitting on that table, and everybody opens them up, and there's guns inside. I'm like, that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> it's so. Well, like, here's your haunted gun. There's something about the way they do it where it's like, it's so cheesy, but it's like, they know they're doing this cheesy thing. Like they're not tricking anybody. They're not sitting here expecting you to take this perfectly seriously. You're not supposed to believe that some of the, like the more ghostly things that happen, you're like, you, you're supposed to believe that the characters believe it's real, but the audience is supposed to kind of know it's not real. You know what I mean? The, I do love the, the shorthand opening credits of the film where, it's Vincent Price narrating, and he basically explains who all the characters are. Yep. So that yeah. we don't have to unveil that through dialogue, because God forbid there just be dialogue. <laughs> well, the thing is, I think it's, um, in some cases, like in a movie like this, it's easier, right? Like 1950s, trying to get all this out, you would have been there for an hour introducing these characters, or, or you would have just had them like monologuing about themselves. You know what I mean? Like they would have each just stood there and said those things about themselves. And this was more entertaining way to have exposition in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, having Vincent Price's do narration is great in anything. I just look at thriller, but um, it does kind of just make it go like, Oh, that's who that is. Mm-hmm. You're right. We don't need the, him standing at the front door. a la the uh, Bill Hader skits on SNL. Where he's explaining who people are as they walk in. No, oh, it's my old friend. Who's the surgeon? Who is fr- frightened of blah 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 blah? Well, yeah, because and that's what would have happened if they didn't do that, or it would have just been yeah. them all standing in a circle in the living room, introducing themselves and giving their own little speech. You know. So, if yeah. you're going to have somebody just spew off ex, ex- eh, just spew out information like that, you're going to want to just have it be in surprise. It's it's going to be way easier to deal with. <laughs> um, any favorite moments, Doug? I mean, it's it's obvious, but the skeleton uh, uh, that's oh, very obviously on wires. I mean, like yeah. it's 
the the skeleton on the wires which is so obviously on wires and i think like going into the movie i thought they were going to try to pass that off as real and by this point in the movie i'm like i'm understanding that all this stuff is fake and so when it comes out it's so obviously on wires i'm so happy watching it happen and then (laughs) you know and then when vincent price comes out and he's got the like marionette controls i'm just like oh come on man what more could you possibly ask for Uh, and that's the big gimmick for the movie. They had a skeleton all pinned up by the screen. And then when this scene hit, they would release it. They would fly over the audience and freak everybody out. See, that's super fun. I, w- I would love to see that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, they did it in a way where it didn't really affect the movie, right? Because so, that gimmick is, I'm, I'm sure, like what you're saying is true. But when you're watching the movie at home now, it you're not losing anything by not having that. Yeah, so, totally. Um, we screened it for one of our drunken zombie deadly double features that we used to do. Yeah. We were trying to figure out, is there a way we can do the skeleton? You know, that's not like overly complicated. Um, we couldn't figure out how to do that exact thing, but someone we knew had a big skeleton. It wasn't life size, but it was still like a pretty decent sized one. Mm-hmm. It had like a little loop coming out of the skull. So we literally just taped it to a stick. And because the uh, projection booth door was at the back of the theater, we just waited until that scene started, and then Wes ran out with it on a stick and just ran through the audience with it. And everybody had a great time. They were all cheering and stuff. So, not quite the same, but we did what we could. We need more gimmicky-ass fucking movies. Oh, I, 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 I would love to go see some of these movies in theaters with the full gimmicks in effect. Right? It would be fantastic. Yeah. See, I think we need new ones. Because the problem is, I know what all the gimmicks were from all these movies. Well, I don't think anybody's making movies like this anymore. One of my favorite movie gimmicks of all time is uh, when Mark of the Devil was in the theaters. They would hand out like airplane barf bags <laughs> at the doors to convince people that this was going to be the most disgusting, disturbing, violent movie you've ever seen. I have a couple of uh, Dr. Butcher MD barf bags up on top of my DVD shelves. Nice. That I got at the drive-in last year when they showed it at the Dust Till Dawn drive-in night. Nice. I do like, do you guys notice how conveniently they get rid of the uh, the other character? They're like, he just went behind this wall. <laughs> He's gone for like half an hour. It's just there for the rest of the movie. Well, it's, yeah, it's funny how they just, it's such a simple storytelling time. Like, films from this era are not complex, generally speaking, and this is no exception. So they're just like, we need somebody out of the way, we just put them in another room, and nobody asks questions about why they're not coming out. <laughs> what about you, Noah? You got any favorite scenes? Uh, I don't know. I, I really like all this bad stuff happening to the... Uh, the employee. I don't know. <laughs> I've just always, I'm like, these were all just really elaborate. Like, poor girl. It's funny how elaborate some of it is. And you're like, this would take a long time to set up. And then the funny part on top of that is she also gets scared to death by the caretakers who were not part of it. Right. Like they weren't, they weren't in on it. So that, that one moment, like, yeah. like when that one, caretaker came up behind her and like put his hand over her mouth and he's like warning her to leave he was genuinely trying to help when he did that but he also tortured the hell out of her he's just really bad at helping people 
I mean, I love that she sees the the ghost of the wife outside the window. And I, I would really love for them to have explained in the movie how they did the rope thing, because that that seems Which pretty complicated. Well, the rope, like, comes to the window and wraps around her feet and then goes back. Yeah, I... Yeah, that I, seems I, that seems a little complex. I, I feel like that <laughs> that's one of those ones where it's like, that, you can't really do that, but you know, it's a movie. So for the purpose but of I, this movie. But I do love the fact the next scene, she's like, help me get out of this wiring harness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny because they, and we'll talk about this a lot more in the next film, but like they try to explain certain things and then other things, it's just like you say, like the rope thing, there's no Jesus. explanation for that. You right. say we'll talk about it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it's just like that that rope thing. It can't happen. And that's if if you're going to be overly analytical of this film, you're going to come up with some of the things that it's like, well, I don't know if that makes any sense. Like, you know, starting with the vat of acid, the rope thing. Again, the whole convoluted plot and the fact that it ends up like working out kind of good. It's like, how did this plot work of all plots <laughs> of all plans to kill off a husband so that you can be with his wife. I don't know if this one is the one that I would expect to be successful. Yeah. I mean, I bet this was, I bet this was a blast whenever it was its initial run in the theaters. Oh my God. Cause you would have gone in blind, not knowing what to expect. And you know, audiences were um, less in tune with filmmaking back then. So they didn't ask the kinds of questions we're asking now. They just went with it, which is, would make this so much more fun to watch. We're just not capable of that anymore. No, unfortunately. That's, we have um, we have a tendency to ruin movies for ourselves by asking too many questions. <laughs> what do you do? Um, is there anything else? I feel like there's not a lot to talk about because there's a lot of dialogue in this movie. Yeah. Um, well, we could talk about well, it, like. Can we talk? I love I love the uh, the guy who owns the house. Just you know the the million mile stare and him telling oh, the yeah. ghost stories the entire time, but yeah. then at the end of the movie, after everything's unveiled and there has been no supernatural activity whatsoever, he's still like there are nine in the house now. Oh, he's not like yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> so this, uh, yeah, that's the funny. Thing. The big reveal at the end of the movie is that he's just a fucking wackadoodle. Oh yeah, he's. Or, he, or, you know, like, there are ghosts. It's just, they're a coincidence, that's all. <laughs> it's, Not really part of the plot of the movie. Yeah. But, like, yeah, his his performance is great throughout the movie, just doing that thousand-yard stare. When he's got that knife and the other guy's, like, coming in trying to talk to him and he's just, like, poking the knife towards him and the other guy's, like, backing off. I love that moment. <laughs> All that stuff is good. That's, like, that's something I think that people might not know about this movie who haven't seen it is, like... All that stuff is really well done. Like even the, the the cheesy parts where, like, of course, the one guy is gonna like befriend the girl, and they sort of it's imp- almost an implied romantic storyline going on. And you're like, okay, yeah, that's to be expected. But it's all well done. Like when he's hiding her in the room and all that kind of stuff. Well, that and the fact that she's like, I was attacked and I want to leave, and he's like, ha, 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 you're a stupid woman with a stupid, <laughs> scared, crazy vagina. Yeah. There is one really, really progressive moment in this movie where somebody accuses her of having hysteria and the psychiatrist steps up and says, no, no, she's just upset. It's not actually hysteria. And I thought, geez, for 1959, that's practically feminism. (laughs) This woman has a job and doesn't have hysteria in the same movie. 
Although it turns out the only reason why he was doing that is because he needed to keep her in the house to commit the murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it it turns out. Yeah, there's a few things like that where you you realize, like, the plan was really iffy because she could have just left and they started scaring her before she had the before she was stuck there so what if she had just decided to leave because then she ends up stuck in the house because the caretakers leave early but again the caretakers aren't in on the plot they just happen to play an important role in keeping her trapped in the house when it's when it wasn't you know it wasn't their plan to keep her in the house but they did keep her there my god her uterus is come unhinged <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, go ahead. I just, like, I just, I just, I, I, the part that it can surprise me about the movie was how much I enjoyed the dialogue and the conversation scenes and all that. I think I knew yeah. I'd like the skeleton and the, the rat getting thrown into that. I didn't know there was going to be a rat thrown into a vat of acid, but once I found <laughs> out that was going to happen, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to enjoy that part. Like That's who I am as a person. But uh, I, 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 I'm... I'll say this about the next film as well. It's like I'm surprised that these William Castle movies are as dialogue and plot driven as they are and how well they're done because that's not what they're known for, right? Yeah, not really. Yeah, it's mainly just the gimmick stuff. But it's 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 interesting that they're good movie. This is a good movie without the gimmicks. Like it's like I say, I think I was engaged in the mystery element of it too and I didn't predict what was coming. So I I I that's a, a sign of a good film when I'm trying to guess the ending because they want me to be invested, but I'm also not able to guess it. So, All right. Well, Noah, do you want to run down the tingler for us? The tingler. Uh, so this is a movie that spends 75% of the movie explaining the premise of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> So there is a thing in your body that when you are frightened gains material form and is then unmade when you release your fear tension by screaming. And you are told that 500 fucking times Mm -hmm. in various fucking ways. To be fair... It makes no sense, so they do have to repeat themselves over and over again to get people. Oh to yeah, I don't, I I don't understand how anybody could make this movie and not like be laughing into the camera the whole fucking time, like it was a Saturday Night Live sketch. Yeah, the science is <laughs> the science is a bit off, in my opinion. It's real bad. The premise is real bad. This movie is whenever you see people making fun of 1950s science fiction movies where they, like, overly explain things with bad science. I've always been like, ha, 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 this is a heightened version of of what they did. And then I watch this movie, and I'm like, well, no, now it's not even a parody. They're just literally doing what this movie does. <laughs> Accurate. Uh, but wrapped around that, we have Vincent Price as the scientist studying the thing, and then he's got his uh, lab assistant who... Is I I don't I feel like I missed something because I don't think I understand the relationship of everyone in the house. Is the blonde right. woman actually his wife? He has a wife, and then his wife has a sister, and then the lab assistant is the boyfriend of the sister. Is that her sister? Yeah, 
Yeah, the blonde, the blonde chick and the dark-haired chick are brother and sister, but I don't recall them ever explicitly stating that she's the blonde is Vincent Price's wife. Yeah, I don't recall that. Yeah, because that's why she's how else she be, could she be cheating on him? I don't know. It's really I don't know. They're, they're, those relationships are really odd. This is a really weirdly constructed story. Uh, and then the other two main Cause, players, because I feel like the younger girl calls him uncle at some point. Right, which is, which is what threw me off. Oh, I didn't, I didn't catch that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's but what I thought. So I thought that he's the uncle, but the blonde girl for some reason is like the primary inheritor who controls all the money. Well, she is. She inherited money, and she's funding. That's his wife, and she's funding his research. But she's also holding back money that could go to the sister, which is preventing the sister and the boyfriend from running off and starting their own lives. Yeah. She's a real nasty bitch of a woman in this movie. Like she's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, she's also, just sleeping with other guys like right in front of them and stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, so then the other main player is the owner of a theater who randomly befriends uh, Vincent Price's character after an execution. What the like the, the even the beginning of this movie? I was like, "What in the fuck is happening in this scene?" Like there was just an execution, He's and now an this guy who owns a movie theater is in the room where the autopsy's being performed. Well, there, there's a weird plot point in this movie where the guy who was executed is that guy's brother-in-law. Yeah, and that never comes back up. Like later in yeah. the movie, they never go. Oh, by the way, like it's weird that you were at your brother-in-law's yeah. execution. Yeah, that his sister wasn't. <clears throat> Other than the fact, like, well, a woman could never come to an execution. Right. I don't. I think it's more it makes more sense that you would not go than that you would go. <laughs> like that's. I don't think it's unusual for a sister to go. Ah, they're gonna put my brother in the electric chair and throw the switch. I don't want to be there that day. Yeah, but it's, but I mean, why the brother-in-law comp- went is the confusing part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then his wife, who is a deaf mute, who that obviously comes into play because of the fact that once again you have to scream to release fear tension yes according to the science of this movie if you are a deaf mute you can literally scare yourself to death because you can't scream so yeah will snap yeah the tingler will snap your spine like a twig because that's i don't that's just i don't know skip skipping it because it's frustrating uh (laughs) yeah so that's it and then uh, the story progresses. They're doing their experiments. Vincent Price finally gets a little bit of proof that the Tingler exists by uh, scaring a blonde chick fucking out of her mind. He basically pretends to shoot her in order to get her to shit her pants enough for him to <laughs> x-ray her. Correct. <laughs> so they get a picture of it, and it's it's a weird centipede thing that apparently extends from your hole to your neck a lot of uh, people would say across your spine but you know whatever no <laughs> uses his own visualizations so so vincent price decides he wants to experience this uh spine shattering elder bug from fucking lovecraftian hell so he injects himself with super lsd to give himself a bad trip which is fun uh, as hell yeah, unfortunately, he screams once it starts breaking his back, so he doesn't get the full thing. Once, once again, I, what? He's like, "Oh no, I didn't break my back with the yeah. with the screaming worm." 
Then he explains to the audience that he needs to test it on someone who can't scream, giving us the idea that, oh, he's going to go do it to the poor mute lady. So he goes over there, treats her for a migraine, leaves. She has what we believe are hallucinations and, you know, her, her spine is broken and he performs an autopsy and actually gets a dingler, which is laughably bad as well. Uh and then it crawls around, does some shenanigans. Blonchek tries to kill him again. That doesn't work. Uh, and then it turns out that he wasn't actually evil and didn't try to kill the other lady. It was her husband. Yeah. <laughs> it's her husband playing pranks on her to, to basically try to scare her to death because he was yeah. sick of her shit. Yeah, and I got it once again, unnecessarily convoluted. Like, the the... The quadruple fake out of Vincent Price's character being an absolute asshole piece of shit, telling you that he's going to do the thing, going to her house, doing the thing, and then being like, aha, he didn't do the thing he explicitly said he was going to do. <laughs> I don't know. And then that that ends up being the, the whole last act of the movie ends up being they need to put the tingler back into the dead lady because then it can go away because reasons. Because it won't die outside of the body that it was the host of. Yeah. And then, of course, that doesn't work because we find out that the, you know, the husband was actually murdered her by scaring her to death, which would never hold up in court. I'm not exactly sure what he's so afraid of. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if we think the science is, the the legal analysis is not solid either. Yeah, I was going to say, Vincent Price would go into that courtroom, explain to them the premise of his science, and they would be like, oh, so you're all crazy people. (laughs) Your Honor, he scared her until she died. I call it the tingler. Do you want (laughs) to feel it, Judge? No. Please, please leave. (laughs) You're clearly talking about some kind of sexual reference that I don't understand, and I don't like it. I don't like goddamn hippies in my courtroom. Uh, I got to admit, I I really thought I was going to enjoy this more, but fuck. I mean, this this is kind of a fucking terrible movie. All right, so I disagree. Um, Noah's not a fan, but Doug's going to back it up. So here's the thing. Everything at the end of the movie it falls apart when the the gimmick happens. That's the difference between this and the other movie, is that the gimmick is so ingrained in this film that without watching it in a theater, it's it's really fucking dumb. Like you know what I mean? Like it's the idea is like this tingler is running free in a movie theater, which is it's a as a gimmick probably great. And uh, the way I imagine it is that certain seats would like give you the like rub your leg or something to make you feel like there is a tingler. No, they motors. had yeah, they had motors and buzzers in the backs of the seats yeah. in certain sections, and it was programmed to like do it at different times in different spots. Yeah, so people would scream as if something was moving through the theater. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Like uh, the gimmick is great, but it really ruins the movie, and it's a completely a complete tonal shift as well. So if you're watching this at home, that kind of ruins it at the end. But all the stuff yeah. leading up to it, I'm not going to defend any of the science. Don't get me wrong. It's it's clearly nonsense. But I, I loved watching Vincent Price do his little experiments. I liked him going on an acid trip. I enjoyed the mislead of them think, making us think that he went and gave the, uh, like, 
gave acid to the the deaf lady and then when the reveal comes that it wasn't actually him i'm like oh neat like that's fun like you know what i mean like it's i'd enjoyed all that i don't know i i i everything leading up to the ending i thought was just as well done as the other movie i I was really happy watching it i will say the 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 gimmick kind of spoils this movie the stuff that wasn't them explaining the movie was fine the only problem is three quarters of the movie is them explaining the movie. Yeah, see, all that science stuff, I enjoyed it. Again, it's all nonsense science. I'm not going to sit here and argue that. I would have, I would have enjoyed it if it would have been a smaller part, but they kept doing it over and over and over. And I'm like, for fuck's sakes, you don't. I get it. If you're afraid, tingler. If you scream, no tingler. Like you don't have to fucking. How many how many scenes do we have to have? In in a fucking hour and twenty long minute movie explaining that. Um, Fair enough. I will I will defend this. Back in the fifties, you could buy a movie ticket and just walk into a movie at any point. So some people would buy a movie ticket, walk in, and halfway through the movie, and then just stick around and watch the entire movie after it was finished. So maybe they felt they needed to explain it multiple times for people who may have just shown up at the movie theater. I mean. Yeah, if you want if you want to be generous to the film, you can argue that. If you want to be critical of the film, you could argue the opposite, which is that they just had no plot and they, it was all about the gimmick, and so they were just, you know, yeah. making the movie long enough so that when the gimmick got there, it would be feature length. I mean, shit. There's I, I forgot. There's a five minute introduction at the beginning of the movie of William Castle explaining to you the gimmick of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that they actively encourage you to scream throughout the movie. I imagine that was super oh, fun yeah. in theaters. <laughs> well, I love it. I, I feel like William Castle really believed it. He was like, if we tell them a thousand times that if they don't scream, they will die, then they will scream because eventually they'll buy into the science. And it's like, I don't. Were people in the 1950s fucking stupid? <laughs> they weren't stupid, but I do think that they were a little bit. It was easier to convince them that what they were watching on screen was real. They weren't, uh, they hadn't, like, keep in mind, like, people who were teenagers there, they didn't have TVs in their homes. You know what I mean? Like, this is the only time they saw screens. So it's a completely different experience than what we have watching a movie. We're a much more sophisticated audience now, and the same filmmaking techniques don't always work. But yeah, I think the idea I, here was... I appreciate your insinuation that I'm sophisticated. <laughs> you've seen more movies than people in the 1950s have seen. That's all I'm saying. Don't take it as a compliment. Um, Too but, late. Compliment accepted. <laughs> but yeah, like I think it was a much easier for people to suspend their disbelief and buy into nonsense science. You know? They didn't have they, they didn't have a phone. They couldn't pull it out in the middle of the theater and Google whether the science was real and piss me off in the back of the theater by pulling their phone. Was, that's not how it worked. You know what I mean? I don't know. I feel like that a really funny thing to do on YouTube would be for people to do tingler edits of other films where you just have the actors from that film film extra scenes where they just overly explain the movie over and over and over again. Should be really funny. <laughs> I feel like you're kind of exaggerating the way it happens. Just Elijah Wood pops up and he's like, I have to take this ring to Mordor because that's where Mount Doom is. Mount Doom, the the volcano where the ring was made originally by Sauron, the evil guy. So we have to take the ring to Mordor to put it in the volcano. If it doesn't go in the volcano, it won't be destroyed because it can only be destroyed in the volcano. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed this movie. As I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as House on Haunted Hill. I think Doug explained it pretty well. That with the, the gimmick in the theater, it's probably an amazing experience, but it doesn't work quite as well. Yeah, this movie, I, I would say, this is what people expect from a William Castle movie, which is that. The, the movie is the gimmick and the gimmick is the movie kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but again, big Vincent Price fans. So anytime he's uh, doing his thing, I'm always on board. And that moment when he like threatened to kill his wife for cheating on him. And then he like, it turned out to all be, he was just scaring her or whatever. But I'm like, yeah. that whole speech of him, like yelling at her and pointing the gun at her and stuff. I'm like, he does point the gun in a very 1950s way, which is not a proper way to hold a gun, and it looks real cheesy. But that's just how they held guns in, in 50s movies. What do you want him to like hold it sideways and be like cap cap? That just I don't know. There's there's a, a certain way they hold it. I don't really know how to describe it. With like, but it's like they're trying to hold it directly in front of themselves, I guess, for aiming purposes or something, instead of like holding it naturally. Oh. It's, I don't know. Anyways, but the point is, like, that whole speech I really enjoyed. I like his performance in both of these movies. I like Evil. Um, evil Vincent Price. I kind of prefer that to good guy Vincent yeah. Price sometimes. We should do um, the Dr. Fives movies at some point. <laughs> I've only seen those once each. Yeah. He's really good in both of those. I kinda, um, it's fun to go back and watch so, Vincent Price. So what you're saying is too. Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine? I have those on DVD, so don't make a joke. Um, do we have anything else to say about Tingler? Again, it's fun. It's probably amazing in a the theater. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's, I don't know, I mean, it it's not scientifically accurate, but I think it is fun. All the science that they give you is fun to listen to them say it, even though, again, it's nonsensical, and it's like the type of nonsensical that you can't even pretend to believe it's like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Cause even like Frankenstein or something where they're like, yeah, we, we put the body on the machine and then the lightning strikes it and then the body comes to life. And you're like, all right, I'll go with that. Like, you know what I mean? But then here you're yeah. like, no, no, no. Like I'm not, I can't, I can't get behind the fact that there's this like giant bug that lives in your body, but it magically appears when you're scared and goes away. If you scream, like it, it makes no sense. Like every time a you're forgetting the relationship scared. to the fear tension. <laughs> but the implication of this movie would be like every time a deaf person is genuinely scared, they automatically die because they can't scream properly. Or like if you were, well, what if you're a like, deaf person could still scream? Oh, sorry, I guess you did. Uh, a mute person, a mute person would be able yeah. to. Yeah. Are you guys struggling not to say dumb person because in the movie, like in 50s parlance, that's how they refer to Oh, her. she's deaf and dumb. Yeah, it's. <laughs> now, I did I did just have a thought, though, when we were talking about how the science doesn't make sense. You can try to justify it to us. No, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it worse. All right. Because um, Vincent Price tells his lab assistant um, to go find a cat and then to go find a dog to scare the cat. But the cat can't scream really i mean i guess it could yeah really this like, is tough yeah maybe it's maybe the the tingler works different in the cat because it's like whatever it releases as fear yeah i don't know what cats but we never get to that because <laughs> as you said vincent price makes his wife shit her pants <laughs> and pass out so that's it's a smarter goal when you think about it i'd, I'd rather see yeah. him do that to her like they made her out to be such a bitch that it was like 
fine. You're like, yeah, you can do that to her if you want. And then, <laughs> but if you'd done it to a cat, I think everyone would have been a little bit more upset. Yeah. Watch her making out with somebody in the driveway, then doing the thing where she comes to the front door, takes her shoes off, and is like cartoon sneaking through the house yeah. until he turns the light on. That, that whole thing where he's like, you were just out fucking somebody else, eh? And she's like, yeah, I do that because all you care about is science. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a that's a harsh relationship. I bet you that won't end well. Well, she's trying to tell them if he doesn't release the sexual tension that the weird <laughs> caterpillar that lives in your ball sack will break your legs. <laughs> All right. I wish, I wish that hadn't been said. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MN Drive-In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Alright, what's everybody watched? Uh, I watched a couple things. So, we wanted to go see A Haunting in Venice, uh, but we hadn't seen the other movies in that movie series, because apparently I just completely missed that they exist somehow. Yeah, you found out on last week's show. (laughs) Right. So, uh, I didn't watch Murder on the Orient Express because I couldn't find it anywhere. Really? Well, not not for free. I didn't want to pay for it. You didn't want to pay for it. Gotcha. Uh, so we did watch uh, Death on the Nile, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. And uh, although they did they did do one particular thing that I hate in that one, and that is, so I believe the hallmark of a good mystery movie is that the audience should be given all of the clues and it should be solvable, right? That's, that's how you make a good mystery movie. Sure. The audience should be able to solve it, but don't. And that one did one of the things where at the end, when Perot is uh, unveiling the the mystery, he hands out a piece of evidence that the audience wasn't privy to. And I was like, nope, see, nope, you did the thing. I fucking hate it. That's not a mystery movie if you don't tell the audience all the clues. If you give the characters an extra clue, that's not. And it was one that the audience never would have solved if they had been given it, but so, so I was a little annoyed with that, but besides that, the performances are all good. Uh, I can't remember the actor's name who's playing Hercule. Kenneth Branagh? Yeah, but he's he's fucking fantastic. The, the guy who played Victor Frankenstein in the De Niro Frankenstein movie? Uh, and then so we did go see A Haunting in Venice, and I think I liked that one even more. Uh, although that's because it was both a mystery movie and it was a pseudo horror movie kind of okay um it's it's got horror elements to it yeah they they also did a really cool thing in which i don't i've read some of the the agatha christie stuff but not all of it and i'd never read this one and there is a really cool reasonable explanation why why things that appear to be supernatural keep happening which is which is kind of cool. I, I'm I'm into that. Nice, but yeah, yeah. It was. A, I I think it was the best. Tina Fey's in it for some random fucking reason. Yeah, I thought that was weird, but it's real weird. To, try not to be like, hey, don't try to 
uh, stretch your boundaries. Although death, death on the Nile, fucking Richard Brand's in it for some fucking reason. In in both cases, there are these they're overtly comedic actors who play completely straight roles. Do you mean Russell Brand? Russell Brand. Sorry, thank you. He's no bueno no more. No, has he been canceled? Well, apparently he has a couple of sexual assault allegations on him. Oh, shame on him. Yeah. Uh, and besides that, I just watched a bunch more episodes of uh, Wrestlers, which is still fantastic. I'm still not all the way through it, but it's great. Have you watched this season's uh, Dark Side of the Ring? Uh, I have not. I don't. I don't have any way to stay up to date on shows that are on Vice. Well, no, you just search, search them on YouTube. You literally just search season four, Dark Side of the Ring. The episodes will pop up. Yeah, Vice doesn't seem to give a shit if you watch them on YouTube. So, yeah, that's how I watched them all this season. I guess a pretty good story. So, yeah, I did feel like last last season it felt like they were scraping the bottom of the barrel on a couple of them. I was like, yeah, this is like dark, Careful. but it's I also accused not. them of that this year, and then they came back hard at me. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like the theme this season was uh um unrealized potential. Like people that had the potential to be superstars and it got fucked up in one some form. Yeah. This is Draws. Now he's a quadriplegic. Boo, he just died this year. Yeah. Yeah, it was sad. What happened to that guy? Yeah, me and my brother still reference uh the Beyond the Mat documentary. Like sometimes my brother, if he like, if we have like Christmas dinner or something, and then he's like, "Oh, I'm so full, I shouldn't eat so much," and I'd be like, "Oh my, oh my God, I think he's gonna puke, he's gonna puke," and I just go into the whole thing. He just he's dies laughing. Puke. <laughs> God, I fucking, I fucking hate Vince McMahon so much. <laughs> that shit's so funny. Any reference, any reference to him, uh, I'm just like, God damn it. And now that he looks like the Tapatio salsa guy, <laughs> it's so much worse. He looks like Tapatio salsa guy with dead rat eyes. People have been saying he looks like the villain from a uh, from from like a Mexican uh, telenovela. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that sounds exactly right. Uh, I'm trying to think if I watched anything else. We caught up on uh, Only Murders in the Building. I still haven't started that. I, it's so it's it's it, it's such an interesting show. I think I would enjoy it much much more if I was super into like live theater because a lot of the jokes and a lot of the premises of the show are based on theatrical references, which of course I'm completely missing. Yeah, yeah. I watched one episode of it. Um, I enjoyed it, but it's very kind of stagey the whole thing is set up i think it's just a it's just a a way for those actors to show off who they will who they feel like being they're not really performing as much as they're doing their own like stand-up routines almost it's well i i don't know yeah that that's probably partially true if i understand correctly the only reason why this show exists is i think they said something about maybe martin short was having some problems like staying active and getting acting roles and stuff. And and that was the only reason why Steve Martin signed on to the show was basically as a favorite uh, really? Martin Short. 
And then it turns and then it turns out it's a big smash hit and everyone loves it. So I think he said this is the last thing he's doing. He's retiring from acting after this. And in this season's got Paul Rudd in it, and that's pretty funny. Well that's yeah, I mean Paul Rudd. You just say Paul Rudd, I'm like, uh huh, yep, I'll watch it. Yeah. Paul Paul Rudd is the murder victim in the third season. I feel like the whole show though is heavily like if you like the people you'll like the show if you don't like the people you won't like the show i happen to like all three of the leads so yeah yeah it's worth it i mean it's it's definitely worth giving it a watch there's a lot of uh i I don't know all of a sudden the show will get like hyper stylized for a little bit if that it's hard to just like it's hard to explain and it works it's just a weird thing. Like it's like okay, haha, normal comedy, normal comedy, normal comedy, and then it's like okay, now we just go instantly into a super weird place. In season three, Steve Martin's character has to do a patter song in a musical, and he can't sing, and he's getting really, really stressed out about it because he doesn't know how to do a patter song. And every time he goes to their uh, rehearsals and he starts to do it he goes to this thing that they call the white room, which apparently is uh, some kind of theater term that if you fuck up on stage, there's no going back because there's no second takes or anything like that. So people like black out and do crazy things. And he, it keeps showing him literally in a white suit in an all white room, like dancing around, smiling, doing a whole weird dance routine. And then it'll cut back to reality and like his pants are off and he's destroyed the entire stage. <laughs> that's funny. But yeah, that's, that's all I've watched. What do you watch, Doug? Uh, I don't have a lot. Me neither. I watched, um, it was a rewatch, I guess, the remake of Maniac starring Elijah Wood. Yeah. And I, I, it was one of those things I'm like flipping through Tubi and I see it and I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember liking that when I saw it. And I checked. I'm like, it's like from 2012. I'm like, I haven't seen it since then. I wonder if it holds up. And man, it's like a really good movie. I don't know if you guys yeah. knew that. I don't. I've still never watched it. Oh really? Yeah. It is. It threads the needle perfectly in so many ways. It's like ultra violent and gory, but it never kind of goes into like torture porn area which is kind of what you're nervous about with films from this era that's that's the one where he's a like a stalker and yeah. it's got something to do with like a mannequin shop yes yeah yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah the remake yeah. of the 80s movie yeah um but yeah like i say like violent without going too far they have this gimmick where the vast majority of the film is a point of view shot from his perspective as you walk around which adds like a really creepy element to everything you're doing because like when he's doing a kill you're seeing it from his perspective um but they they do it in a way where it doesn't like remember, like remember that one we watched that kind of used the same gimmick but it was just annoying they managed to do it in a way where hardcore henry that. yeah like, so this movie manages to to do it the same gimmick but in a much better way so you're not like you're not dealing with it you're not getting a headache from it when he's running or whatever um much much better and I mean, if if you're a fan of the original, which I'm sure we all are, and many people listening to this are, uh, you know, it, it also nails it where it's like it's enough like the original that it's tr- mm-hmm. kind of true to it with its violent nature and this sort of just centerpiece psychopath character. But also it's like 
different enough that I think you can watch it. You, you could watch this one and the other one as a double bill and they're not like the same movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I was going to say all the stuff I love about the original, you just can't replicate like sweaty Joe Spinell and then, you know, gross grimy New York. Yeah. I mean, this movie does it in its own way. So you don't get sweaty, gross Joe Spinell. Like you, yeah. Like you see, there's no way to replicate that, right? Yeah. But you do get creepy, weird, gross Elijah Wood, and you're like, <laughs> honestly, this is a whole like, another flavor. It, it's a different thing, but this is this is what I'm saying about how it's like it it is a different thing, but it's also really good, and it's still kind of true to the idea of that original character, this like gross, weird guy who's yeah. like, you know, also a psychopath. Like, Elijah Wood's second half of his career is just fucking phenomenal. It's, He's got Lord of the Rings money. He yeah, can just do whatever just, the fuck he wants now. Yeah, I just I can do whatever the fuck I want, but it, just luckily this is what he wants to do. Um, it's like it's like he's reverse Bruce Campbell. Like, <laughs> like, like Bruce Campbell started out on the crazy end of the pool and then kind of, you know, slowly worked his way into the mainstream a little bit. Yeah. And instead, Elijah would like start off mainstream as fuck, and then he was like, "Nah, fuck it, I'm gonna make this chicken nugget zombie movie." <laughs> yeah, bless him for it, man. It's I wish more people that made it big did it like this, where they turn around and make you know weird, kind of unusual movies, use their fame to get that shit produced, rather than using their fame to just be in other giant franchises. Yeah, how many franchises do all you people need? Yeah, so. It's a huge recommend, Brian. I think you should watch it. I think you'd really like it. Yeah. Um, if you're a fan of the original, you know. I am. So it's worth checking out. It's definitely, like I say, it's very violent. It's very kind of gross, but that's what it's supposed to be. But, yeah. you know, um, it, it really works. It also has, like, some weird, like, art housey type hints to it, but they never cross that line into making it feel pretentious, which is important. Hmm. And then, of course, there's a weird subplot where he runs a mannequin shop and meets a lady who likes to take pictures of mannequins, which is a whole weird thing that I can't quite explain. But Yeah, I'm looking. I actually have the uh, Maniac Blu-ray, and I forgot that it had a Mr. Robbie Maniac 2 promo reel because Joe Spinell was trying to get Maniac 2 funded and made like a weird promo reel. That is very weird. That, that, it, it can't not be weird. Yeah. Then it's sitting on the shelf right next to Maniac Cop. Speaking of Bruce Campbell, so I almost watched Maniac Cop because when I searched this movie out, I'm like, I decided I was going to watch it after seeing it on TV. Then I so I went to the search function to go back and find it, and then when mm-hmm. I typed in Maniac, Maniac Cop came up, and I went, oh, maybe. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that is all I watched this week because I played my favorite game of sit in front of the TV and look for something to watch for so long that it's time to go to bed. I did that most nights. So nice. pretty exciting. Well, the only movie I watched, uh, was spine tingler. The, uh, documentary about William castle. Oh, so theoretically you should have been filling us with fun tidbits of knowledge throughout our yeah, discussion, but I just chose not to. Th- I mean, it's not, there's no like deep, deep dive into, into each movie you know i mean i think the documentary is like an hour kind of go over his whole career and stuff um apparently he you know they were having the premiere for the tingler and he showed up and there was like lines around the block and he was so excited 
So they went in, they did the, uh, did the premiere and he came walking out and there was a movie across the street that had even longer lines around the block. Got really pissed off and it was for psycho. So that's why he went and made homicidal afterwards. Okay. But yeah. Yeah, no so, offense to no offense to William Castle, but those people across the street made the right decision. Well, yes. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I, I hate to I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but Psycho it turns out is really, really good if anyone's thinking of seeing it. <laughs> well, they do point out that it's kind of interesting that William Castle started making a career off these gimmick movies. Like, you know, there's a gimmick and some of them were subtle. Like he took out like a life insurance policy so that if, you know, if you are so scared, you die. And during this theater, your loved ones will get a thousand dollars or some bullshit. Yeah. And, you know, you just have to go up and sign a piece of paper. And that's pretty much like the extent of it. Um, but they did point out that all that shit became really popular. And then suddenly Alfred Hitchcock did almost like a small gimmick himself where they put the big thing in the in the lobby. It's like we will not allow anybody entry after the movie has started. Well, there's a lot of which that. Which is almost a gimmick itself. Surrounding Psycho, like there's that element of it, but there's also just the whole mislead of having the lead character die off, which is a huge a gimmicky type thing. And then the fact that he yeah. like actually went around and tried to buy up all the copies of the book so nobody else would know about it. I'm sure he made that public at the time. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> of course. Yeah. So there, there's elements of it trickling in there. I mean, it's yeah, it's of the era, right? Yeah, and then William Castle totally took the uh, the idea of being in the trailers for the movies, so he would introduce them like Hitchcock did yeah. with his. So he kind of went back and forth. Well, Hitchcock, I think, always kind of like you go back and you watch all of his movies; they're all very much of the time that they were made. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, they, his his fifties stuff is very different from like his later stuff or his earlier stuff, and it's. He, he was definitely uh, in tune with what was going on around and was able to adjust his style accordingly, no. which is why he had like a 60-year career. Yeah, they talk about there was a couple times uh, William Castle had to mortgage his house to make a movie. Oh, yeah? Because nobody else was like, they didn't see they didn't see it. He had a weird, like, you know, sort of vision that he's like, no, this will work. And studios would be like, I don't know. I don't. I don't get what you're talking about. So he would have to mortgage his house to pay for the movie. And then, of course, like the movie would do amazing. And then he'd make all his money back and pay off his house again. He could buy a bigger house to get out a bigger mortgage to uh, (laughs) pretty much make a bigger movie. Uh, But yeah, then apparently he did like uh, sort of get tired of a gimmicky thing and wanted to be a little bit more serious. And nobody would take him seriously. And. You know, the famous story is he uh, read the book of Rosemary's Baby and then optioned the movie and then took it to a studio. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll make this movie. And then after he signed it over, they're like, but we're not going to let you direct it. And he's like, are you kidding me? So they let him produce it, but they demanded that uh, Roman Polanski direct it. And apparently after he saw it, he's like, okay, I get it. That's well, a better yeah, choice. I, I don't know that he would have been capable of doing what Polanski did. It'd be a very different no. film. Not to say necessarily it would be not be a good film, just to be different. Yeah. He does have a cameo in Rosemary's Baby, though. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there's a scene where uh, Mia Farrow's in, like, a phone booth trying to call somebody, and she's, like, afraid of something. I don't know. I haven't seen Rosemary's Baby in forever. Um, she's really, like, nervous because there's a guy outside the phone booth with his back to her, 
And so she's like, oh, is someone stalking me? Is this it? And he turns around and just smiles at her. It's William Castle. He's just a dude waiting for her to get done with the phone so he can use it. I, you know what? I think I remember that, and I think it kind of stands out in the movie. If I'm thinking of the same scene. Yeah. And it was like, that's weird. So, like, why focus on that guy? But apparently it's because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the documentary is interesting. It's from 2007. So, I mean, there's no, like... Problem is everybody liked William Castle, so there's no like, oh, he was a dick. Like, well, like, oh no, he was great to work with. He was a lot of fun. That's see, it's nice sometimes that you have these stories that are just happy. Yeah. You know, he so. didn't mortgage his house and then lose it. He didn't. You know what I mean? He, <laughs> he didn't get rich and famous and then abuse his power. Yeah, they talked to his daughter throughout it. She sort of fills in all the personal gaps and stuff. So yeah, it's a, it's fun. So, I don't know. Like I said, it's 2007. It's, there's, there's not a lot of scandal to it. So if you just kind of want to learn about his filmmaking career, that's the documentary to, to do it. Yeah. Um, oh, one thing I did find interesting. <laughs> he uh, he started out in theater, which is not surprising. No. They use a lot of gimmicks all the time. Um, but one gimmick, I was like, wow. I don't know if that... Like that wouldn't fly today whatsoever, but interesting. So World War II was going on, mm-hmm. and they were doing some play or something, and um, I don't even remember what it was about. I think they were, maybe it was a play where they were talking shit about Nazis or something in it. Controversial. He, he put out a press release that uh, they were getting death threats at the theater or whatever, mm-hmm. which apparently they were not. Um and then even went in and defaced his own theater by spray painting like swastikas and shit on it. <laughs> and then held a press conference about like, we will not be scared. We are going to put on our play. We will not be bullied. And it turns out, yeah, there was nobody like he, he's the one who did. That's kind of fun. I like that. <laughs> but it just built a bunch of buzz around it. So people had to show up just out of curiosity more than anything else. It's total fake controversy. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I think that's great. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's the only movie I watched. I have watched two parts of the documentary RoboDoc. Oh, nice. Documentary, what is now the Ro- RoboCop making of series. Apparently it was like a four-hour documentary, and they've just split it up into four episodes for Screenbox that's on right now. And I uh, watched the first two so far. And I mean, it's fun, but I don't feel like I'm learning a shit ton of new information. It but... feels like four hours is a lot. Yeah. I, wa- I wanted to see it when I first heard about it, and then I started thinking about watching four hours of a documentary about the making of a movie that's only two hours long. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh... But, I mean, two hours so far, it's been fun. Yeah. And at least it is, they talk to, like, everybody. Um, they talk to the, to the, I'd buy that for a dollar guy. Oh, yeah. So they literally talk to everybody. And, uh, I mean, you know, everybody's just pretty honest. Like Peter Weller's talking throughout it. And it's kind of interesting watching how he came up with different things for the robot and stuff. Cause he had a whole like character, like movement and everything thought up. Yeah. And then they put the suit on him and he's like, Oh fuck, I can't move. <laughs> so he had to like readjust. He had like a pretty much like a dance coach like a mime coach so they had to come up with a whole new concept for how 
she was going to move and stuff. And that's interesting. This stuff's kind of fun, but you know, Peter Weller at times is like, yeah, I was probably really hard to work with because he was doing like the whole method thing where he wanted, he wanted to be called robo when he was on the set. Oh really? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I was probably an asshole, but you know, it's what I felt like I needed to, to get the performance. Well, and it, I mean, the performance is great. So yeah. And Kurtwood, Kurtwood Smith is so funny because he's talking and he's like, oh yeah, he wanted to be called Robo or something. And apparently he was kind of mean and wouldn't talk to you. So I just didn't talk to him. I've heard that. I've heard him say stuff like that before where he's just like, yeah, so I just, if I just don't talk to him, then problem solved. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, some of the stuff's been fun. I talked to you know, all the, the gang members or whatever you want to call them. Just how I never really noticed it, but they're like, yeah, we were, it was a very diverse group. Like they selected like, you know, a white guy, like an Italian guy, a black guy, an Asian guy, and they're all in one gang together and they're all like evil and assholes. Yes, it's, that's the future. Everyone comes together, but you know, there's yeah. still tons of gang violence. <laughs> but he's like, but we're still talking about these characters, like, you know, however long later. So it must've worked. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And then Paul Verhoeven just let them come up with their own, like, identities, essentially. All right. It's neat. Have they talked about the stupid scene where they, somebody throws him the keys and he catches them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They talked about that. Because, yeah, like, I've heard that story that I've, I'm hoping there's some behind-the-scene footage of him, like, not being able to catch the keys because of the stupid gloves they made him wear. No, nah, they didn't show that. Oh. They just kept <laughs> – they would just kept using the same one over and over again. Like the same – scene and just stop it right before he catches the keys. Yeah, because apparently yeah, like it's uh what they say like thirty sometimes or something. Something like that. <laughs> like the story I've heard is that a bunch of people like were just like, Can we just like move on? Is it really that important that Robocop catches this set of keys and Hero and is like, No no no. This is what is happening in this movie is he's gonna catch these keys and the fact that the gloves weren't designed for catching is not gonna stop us. <laughs> well he also didn't want him to look. He wanted them to catch it without looking. Yeah. And that was like a whole yeah problem, but yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's been some fun stories. It's you know entertaining, but uh, yeah. I mean, I'm still gonna watch the other two episodes, but I don't think there's anything revolutionary that uh, I learned through this so far. Although I I did learn that Ronnie Cox looks younger today than he did when he was playing Dick Jones. So okay. <laughs> I don't know how that's possible. Yeah, it's better to not try and explain certain things. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's lots of fun. Apparently. <laughs> so apparently, okay, the guy that um, gets shot by the Ed 209, like in the in the boardroom, yeah. he just gets like wasted. So they shot all that stuff um, a couple times on location. And when they put it together, Paul Verhoeven was like, oh no, it needs to be bloodier. So... They, they built a section of the boardroom, brought that guy back in, loaded them up with squibs, like more squibs than you can even imagine, and then did it a couple times, and he was just like, this fucking sucks. And the last time they did it, a squib went off right next to his crotch and hit him right in the nuts. <laughs> and he falls back on that model, and he just has to lay there. And he was trying to be professional, you know, so he didn't react. He said, as soon as they yelled cut, he stood up and somebody ran over to like, you know, wipe him off or whatever. And he's like, no, don't fucking touch me. 
<laughs> he was just completely done with the day. That's funny. Like, that's hilarious. <sighs> but yeah, Robodoc. Look it up on Screenbox, I guess. So, two more episodes. We'll see if they can uh, keep it going for another two hours. Yeah, hopefully something really interesting happens so you can convince me to watch this because I'm like... <laughs> I still can't get around the idea of a four-hour documentary about making a movie. Yeah, but if you watch like one episode and then a couple days later watch another episode. Yeah, that'd probably be the way to do it. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. So, Doug, you planned this whole Halloween season around directors. Yeah. So we just did the 50s. Apparently you decided 60s and 70s had no good horror movies. I didn't say that. I said so. We're skipping past those. All right. It's <laughs> not what I said. I never said that. Uh, but we are jumping to the eighties, and we're going to be talking about two John Carpenter movies: Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness. Uh, why did you pick these two? Uh, well, because they're more straightforward horror films, not like slashery type movies. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to watch In the Mouth of Madness again. Yeah. And you tying it to the 80s is actually false because In the Mouth of Madness came out in 94. I don't care. John Carpenter is an 80s director. That was my point. John Carpenter is a very well known 80s director. The fact that he worked outside that era is incidental. Okay. Fair enough. Um, The better argument is these are two parts of his Apocalypse trilogy. Correct. But you can't really use that argument unless we're going to do the third one. Yeah. Have we not talked about the thing on here? I don't think we've done the thing on this podcast. I was thinking about it when I was putting together this list, and I'm like, have we? But too obvious. Yeah, be one of those movies, one of those Plus reviews it's, where it's ten minutes long, and we're just like, yeah, it's awesome. Go watch it. It's also kind of a sci-fi type movie, and around Halloween, I like to stick with like the more strictly horror stuff. Sure. So nice. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's the end of the show. Uh, oh, I just bought a ticket today. I'm going to go see uh, the band's Max Sabbath and the Cybertronic Spree in Peoria. The hell is that? Uh, so Max Sabbath is a band that does covers of um, Black Sabbath uh, songs, but then they change them to be about f- fast food, and everybody in the band is dressed up as McDonald's characters. Oh, I should have known that. For sure. I don't know why I didn't guess that. <laughs> like they have some guy dressed, uh, I think the lead singer is Ronald McDonald. They have the Hamburglar, the Grimace. Um, I'm more excited about the Cybertronic Spree, which is a band where they all dress up like Transformers. Damn. And they play rock music. All right. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited. It's a little bit weird, but I'll accept it. Um, the promotion on Facebook for it, they keep showing a clip of Cybertronic Spree doing a cover of Immigrant Song, and it's pretty good. All right. And then uh, I went down the YouTube rabbit hole, because they have a YouTube channel, of course. And they did some other covers, and they do one of uh, Dare to be Stupid by Weird Al. All right. And Weird Al even shows up in the video. It's pretty great. <coughs> Apparently, I'm the only one excited that there's a band where Transformers play music. I'm not that excited about it, but it sounds, it sounds all right. So I figured Noah would be excited. I hope and I got no response. You enjoy 
I uh I don't get excited over concerts anymore because I'm so old and crotchety that I don't have fun at concerts. Yeah, I'm not expecting to, but some of my other friends are going. I'm like, well, I would like to see the Transformers band in person, probably. I'm just not so, a huge into gimmicky bands. So that's more my thing. Yeah. Sure. But I'm excited to, to go see The Exorcist in theaters next week. The local cinema is playing it. So. Oh, yeah. The new Saw comes out this week. Oh, yeah. And it's supposed to take place between Saw 2 and 3, from what I've heard. Oh, is it? Yeah. See, that gets me more interested, because I kind of gave up on the Saw series at one point. Yeah, which is why I might actually go. Because I stopped watching after part 5? Part 4? Had to have been part 5. I think I made it to, you know, about 4. Yeah. And then... um, then I watched uh, Jigsaw, which I was disappointed with. And then um, Spiral, which I was also disappointed with. Yes, I haven't seen that either of those. Um, but I this one... I really liked the first Saw, like, a lot. And then, you know, two and three were like, okay, yeah. it's fine. Like, these are sequels, and it's fine. And they're not as good as the first, but they're still okay. Yeah. And then it just started to get too convoluted, and I just mm-hmm. kind of gave up. Yeah. Yeah, this one's supposed to... Tobin Bell's back... And he's supposed to be in full jigsaw mode in this one, so I'm uh, I'm on board. I'm excited to check it out. I'll probably be disappointed because that's how it goes. But yeah, I can see that. And then you're super pumped about Exorcist, huh? Yeah, not the new one. I'm super pumped about seeing the original. I'm oh, that's why I was I was like, really, you're that excited about it, huh? Yeah, but uh, I don't. I'm not sure what to make of the new one. I'm like. I'm stressed about it because every time I see the trailer, I'm like, that looks pretty good. And then it clips to that end part where they show you all the people involved. And I'm like, I remember the last time I wanted to see something these people made. Like, Like, the more I think about that new Halloween trilogy, the more I'm just disappointed. Yeah. Like, I didn't hate the first one. Like, just Halloween. Like, yeah. Halloween 2018. I watched it and I was like, okay, I don't feel like we've done anything new from h2o no. like you know it's fine don't love it don't hate it whatever and then the next two came and i'm like oh i didn't like either of these and i really didn't like uh the third one they just got worse and worse and that, like they didn't start at a good enough point to yeah. <laughs> to be getting that much worse you know yeah oh it's, it's frustrating because it was such an opportunity and they promised they were going back to the tone of the original, which was, why would you say that if you have no intentions of doing it? Money. I guess. Uh, Noah, did you see all the movies that are going to be in Bloomington? Uh, I did. They got a pretty good list this year. Yeah. Um, where is the list? Here it is. Kind of excited by a couple of them. Um, showing Young Frankenstein, which I totally want to see on the big screen. Uh, they're showing the cabin in the woods, which I would probably enjoy seeing on the big screen again. That's a super fun movie. Mm-hmm. On uh, Friday the Thirteenth, they're showing the original Friday the Thirteenth, and then Freddy versus Jason. That's an interesting choice. Yeah. Chronos, uh, which we discovered not too long ago. Uh, Evil Dead Two, uh, The Shining, bunch of stuff in between. Do hmm. all the original Alien too. I forgot about that. Should be fun. 
nice to actually have theaters around here show like fun old movies around Halloween. I wish yeah, I wish there was more like horror movies coming out. Yeah, because we got what Saw and then Exorcist. Yeah. That's it. I almost went and saw It Lives Inside this week. Mm-hmm. But which I've heard about, but I yeah, seen a trailer or anything. Trailer looked okay, and I just wanted to go to the movies, but I got screwed over by my internet provider makes it seem like I'm in a different city. So when I went to the website to buy tickets, it gave me the wrong times because it thought I was in another city. Like, oh, well, that didn't work. For some reason, like, when when websites and stuff try to learn my location, they think I'm in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Happens all the time. So, like, when I'm watching streaming movies, I get bilingual ads <laughs> because Ottawa's a bilingual city. Like, I don't know what the French ones mean. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.